Hey again, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Sports with Friends. This one has a lot of friends on it, and it is for a gathering of tributes to Tommy Lasorda. Tommy Lasorda, the iconic manager, passed away last week at the age of 93. In a time where there is unrest in our country, a proud American Tommy Lasorda was, and I thought it was a good idea to put together a podcast to honor an iconic manager, a great ambassador, and an unbelievable figurehead in Major League Baseball history. It's also the divisional round for the NFL playoffs, and we will preview that and the latest odds on that with the head odds maker at Bavada Sportsbook, Patrick Morrow. Tommy Lasorda managed the Dodgers from 1976 through 1996. I can remember that year, my first year covering baseball. I remember... 1996 was his last year. He was inducted into the National Baseball Hall of Fame as a manager in 97. Uh, he played in the 50s for the Dodgers it's before my time. Uh, he coached the Dodgers from 73 to 76. He won two World Series championships as a manager of the Dodgers. He won the World Series in 1981 and 1988. There are so many stories about Tommy Lasorda. You could do a whole podcast just on his television appearances. You know, he was the dugout wizard in the baseball bunch. That's where I first learned who he was. I mean, I was a Yankee fan growing up. I make no secret about that. And back then, there was an interleague play, so I probably never saw the Dodgers, but I'd seen the baseball bunch, and I watched it. Johnny Bench was the host, and Tommy Lasorda was the dugout wizard. Uh, he was on Silver Spoons. I watched that. Uh, he was on Who's the Boss. I saw that. Fantasy Island. I saw that. Um, so, you know, you, you saw him from a distance. And like I said, his last year managing the Dodgers was my first year covering baseball. And at the end of that year, I was in Colorado in the National League West. So I definitely covered games that Tommy Lasorda managed. There are classic tirades from Tommy Lasorda. Uh, the one in 1982 where he was yelling about Kurt Bavacqua. Uh, that was a great one. His greatest is at reporter Paul Olden, who has to be on this podcast sometime soon. Uh, Paul Olden, he was the voice of the New York Jets, the Tampa Bay then Devil Rays. Now he's the public address announcer at Yankee Stadium. Uh, great guy. And I interned for him back in 1994. I've told stories about that. Uh, Paul Olden asked him about Dave Kingman, the slugger, hit three home runs against the Dodgers that day. And here's this famous clip. Can you give us just a few basic comments about your feelings on the game? Well, naturally, I feel bad about losing a ball game like that. There's, uh, there's no way you should lose that ball game. And that uh, just doesn't make sense. What's your opinion of Kingman's performance? What's my opinion of Kingman's performance? What the f*** do you think is my opinion of it? I think it was put that in. I don't opinion of his performance. He beat us with three home runs. What the f*** do you mean, what is my opinion of his performance? How can you ask me a question like that? What is my opinion of his of, of his performance? He hit three home runs. I'm off to lose a game. And you ask me my opinion of his performance. I mean, that's a tough question to ask me, isn't it? What is my opinion of his performance? Yes, it is. I 
Ask it, and you gave me an answer. Well, I didn't give you a good answer because I'm mad, but I mean... That wasn't a good question. That's a tough question to ask me right now. What is my opinion of his performance? I mean, you want me to tell you what my opinion of his performance is? They just did. That's right. Guy hits three home runs against us. Yep, that's Tommy Lasorda. That's Tommy Lasorda in a nutshell. Uh, but then when he retired from managing... Uh, he was an ambassador. He really was. Uh, he was an ambassador for the sport, um, and he had such a a big role uh, at. You know, I remember he played. He was the third base coach at the two thousand one All Star Game, and uh, you remember Vlad Guerrero lost his bat and it flew towards Lasorda and he flipped over. That was crazy. I remember that. Um, he was a special advisor in two thousand and four, and in two thousand four. Our buddy Ben Platt, who covered the Dodgers for decades, uh, he worked for the Dodgers, he covered the Dodgers, and then he went up working with me over at MLB Radio. Uh, he got Tommy Lasorda to do a commercial in 2004 uh, for MLB Radio. They called it that year MLB.com Radio. I remember that. And my show with Daryl Hamilton, uh, the late, great uh, Daryl Hamilton, was part of it. This is a commercial. you got to hear this commercial that Tommy Lasorda did with Ben Platt about MLB radio. Hi, everyone. This is Tommy Lasorda. The 2004 season is now here, which means MLB.com radio is back in action with eight hours a day of great programming, including those wonderful interviews done by Ben Platt. Hey, Ben, what's the matter? You don't seem very excited about doing this commercial. I'm just waiting for it, Tommy. Waiting for what, Ben? The zinger. Every time we do one of these commercials, you zing me. The first spot we did, you accused me of starting the Dave Kingman interview. And then last year, Benny P., what a joke. I never heard the end of that one. Ah, oh, Benny, your interviews are great. They can be heard in the morning on the baseball breakfast with Billy Sample and Jim Lyrics. Or in the afternoon on Staying Hot with Seth Everett and Daryl Hamilton. Hey, Ben, when did the King and Hambone join MLB.com radio? Well, they joined this year, Tommy. So they joined this year, and they get their own shows, and you have been with them for, what, three years, and you don't have a show yet? Oh, boy, here it comes. Man, they must think really highly of you and Chelsea, don't they? I can't win now, can I? Baseball fans, listen to MLB.com radio. Why do you treat me so well, Tommy? Ben, I have no idea, but you know what, son? I love you. Thanks, Tommy. Just fine. And so that's the pitch man. And I make no secret about it. I had a couple of personal run-ins with him. Um, we'll talk about those. I'm not going to shy away because when we do tributes, we tell the stories completely. And I think that's the proper way to do them. Uh, we can say it. We're not going to you know, trash the guy. Uh, he's an icon. But, uh, yeah, I, I had a couple of very public run-ins uh, with Tommy Lasorda. We'll get to those in just a second. Uh, the first person that I want on this show... Uh, was a guy who we had back on episode 268. There's a, a much lengthier conversation with former Dodgers general manager Fred Clare. But about the 30-minute mark of the podcast, uh, I asked him specifically about his relationship with Lasorda. Tell me about Tommy Lasorda. And when I say that, he's one of the most intense individuals I've ever known. And 
I met him first on the baseball bunch. Like he was the baseball wizard, but he's so much more than that. Um, your relationship with him, tumultuous roller coaster. There's so much there. How do you capsulize your relationship with Tommy Lasorda? Well, I think of the start. I think of the um, friendship that we formed in the spring of 1969 when I was a writer. Tommy was managing the Spokane team. Uh, we became such close friends. We would go out to dinner. I would tell Tommy um, about my love for the game and how I had enjoyed playing the, um, the game at the high school level as a kid. And um, that led to the day when Tommy um, challenged me to go in and replace Bobby Valentine at shortstop in the spring of 1969 at Dodger Town. So I think about that because uh, I have to think about that to keep all in its perspective of that friendship, that wonderful relationship, the fun times, to um, calling Tommy um, uh, a few days ago, about one week ago, to wish him happy birthday, number 93. And to think of all that he has accomplished, and to think, Seth, about a moment that we were so fortunate to share. It's not often that um, you're in a position to help hold up a World Series trophy symbolic of what your organization has accomplished. And uh, Tommy and I um, had that great honor in 1988. He's been so supportive of the uh, cancer journey that uh, I've been through. And um, in our last uh, tournament, uh, we raised a half million dollars for the City of Hope. In 2018, 30 years after that 88 World Championship, uh, presented trophy, uh, the trophy, the Celebration of Life Award uh, to Tommy because um, I wanted to give it to him because I wanted a quote on that trophy that is there first year it went to Rod Carew because the quote is uh, from the great Jackie Robinson, a life is not important except on the impact it has on other lives. So I think of Tommy in terms of the lives that he has impacted in a positive way, certainly just as Jackie did and just as we all need to do in these times, Seth. So, um, it's been a uh, great journey and, um, and I feel very blessed to uh, be able to continue with the uh, friendships and relationships from those years with the Dodgers. Our thanks to Fred Clare for joining us and for me saying those kind things about Tommy Lasorda. More tributes still to come, but first, it is NFL Divisional Playoff Weekend. There are four games on the docket. And let's find out the latest odds on those games. The head odds maker at Bavada Sportsbook is Patrick Morrow. Let's start in the NFC. Uh, we'll go in chronological order. Uh, the Rams and the Packers from Lambeau Field. Uh, that's an afternoon game. It's going to be cold up there. Uh, 
what say you? And that line is pretty big after the Rams upset Seattle. Yeah, tough one to make headway on because the Rams have really had uh, kind of a Jekyll and Hyde season. Uh, defense, phenomenal. And they really reinforced that again. Uh, you know, no, no team has really given Russell Wilson uh, fits this year like the Rams did. And they did it uh, for a third time the past Sunday. Um, many, many interceptions, you know, making him look ordinary. Lots of sacks for one of the more elusive QBs in the league. So, you know, that Rams defense, definitely a high. I mean, you know, we, we, we were curious in game uh, what the difference was going to be uh, when Goff had to come back in and play. Uh, based on our numbers, it kind of looks like replacement level. It doesn't really matter who the Rams have in a QB. Uh, we're not expecting great things either way. Uh, Packers offense has looked uh, much more consistent in the second half of the season when comparing them to a team like the Seahawks that kind of fell off a little bit against teams like the Rams and the Giants. So we currently have the Packers as seven point home favorites over the LA Rams. Uh, the Rams will have to be dealing with the elements in Green Bay in January. And the Packers defense just looking a little bit stronger so far. Over under currently set at 45 and a half. Again, a bit on the lower side for a Green Bay Packers game, but a lot of respect for that Rams defense that has just been holding everything together there. All right, then the nightcap, uh, the Buffalo Bills. who <laughs> They look great. That was the first time in New York since the pandemic started that fans were in the stadium. And I have said all along, I think you can have smatterings of fans in outdoor stadium. I loved what I saw from the Bills. Uh, the Baltimore Ravens came in and, you know, look, Lamar Jackson is what Lamar Jackson is. He's a double threat. You can He can beat you on the ground as much as he can beat you in the air. Uh, they have a great task, and this is an even matchup. I, I wouldn't I wouldn't put a penny on this game. No, and you're absolutely right. This one's going to be tight. Uh, the Bills, currently a two-point home favorite over the Baltimore Ravens at Bavada. Uh, a really interesting line because if we looked at this uh, earlier in the year, hypothetically, if these two teams were to match up, we absolutely would have had the Ravens as favorites in the spot, even on the road, which uh, we know that uh, home field advantage isn't quite worth as much uh, this year, even with the Bills allowing uh you know some fans into the game but uh yeah last week's game you know i, I think for a lot of long time long suffering bills fans that uh they exercised a little bit of demons there although with that controversial call late that allowed the colts to get one last play when it looked like the ball should have been uh fumbled not down but uh you know they survived uh, 27 24 heck of a game uh, one of the uh you know all, all the games were quite good over the last weekend but, uh, you know, we're looking at an over-under of 50. The Bills, uh, you know, I, I, we're going to see points on both sides of the ball. I don't know which defense is going to blink first in that game. I think that'll ultimately make the difference. Again, Bills two-point favorites over-under 50 at Bavada. And we're seeing pretty split action so far. I think that really references that uh, this could go either way, and I don't think our players so far have much of a feel on it. Then Sunday, the Kansas City Chiefs, the favorite taking on the upstart Cleveland Browns. And the Browns, I'll tell you this, a lot of people thought if there was going to be a blowout, it'd be the other way around. Uh, this Browns team is not Cleveland being Cleveland anymore. No, but it, oh gosh, I, I got to be honest, Seth, I was worried uh, late in the second half of that uh, Brown-Steelers game that Cleveland was indeed being Cleveland. Uh, the Steelers got a couple quick scores, Browns quick three and outs with some incompletes, so you're not moving a lot of uh, time off the clock. Very fortunate that uh, Tomlin had a, a couple questionable punts in that last game, and the Browns were ultimately able to uh, come through. 
Uh, I did uh, get a good laugh uh, reading about how uh, Kevin Stefanski consumed that game, watching in his basement with nothing around him. Uh, and his fids, uh, his kids, we were talking about Nickelodeon had the better feet. His kids watching upstairs apparently had a faster feet of the game. And so on that first play of the game, that fumble through the end zone, he doesn't know what's going on. But he goes, I knew something big was happening because the kids were losing their mind upstairs. <laughs> so imagine that. How are you the coach of the team? You're sequestered in your basement. And, uh, you know, you let your kids have the fastest speed. So I thought that was awesome. By the way, we did lose uh, big on the first score of the game, being a safety. You could have got that at 50-1 to 1 at Bovada. So a nice early start for betters in that one. And we were actually staring at one of our largest live betting positions of the season as the Steelers coming back would have cost us into uh, the low seven figures. So everyone talks about pregame betting and how significant that is. Uh, even though the Browns would have been a good result, even if the Steelers winning but not covering would have been a good result, Steelers winning due to live betting would have absolutely crushed us. But looking at this game, the Kansas City Chiefs currently 10-point home favorites at Bovada and the Browns getting a little bit of love so far. And this is kind of a trend that we've seen in previous years when you have a team coming off a bye and other teams that looked pretty good in the week prior, uh, you know, getting into that spot now. So as I've said all that, the Cleveland Browns on the money line and on the point spread currently getting 60% of the betting handle versus the Kansas City Chiefs. By the way, Kansas City Chiefs haven't really covered uh, a lot of games recently. They've been uh, a really decent team to fade this season. And then last thought over under 56, the highest of the weekend and 60% of all money on the over. So, so far, you've seen a big line in Rams-Packers, a big line in Browns-Chiefs. The, the nightcaps are the close games. Ravens-Bills and now Buccaneers-Saints, the two ancient quarterbacks, Tom Brady and Drew Brees. And if this was 2004, this would be great. Uh, what do you make? What say you? Bucks-Saints. That's my uh, that's my bad Harry Callis. If they were if it was 2004, it'd be great. I don't know. I, I think it's still gonna be an all right game. I mean, one of those two teams you got to figure are giving uh, the best go to the Green Bay Packers. It's certainly not gonna be the Rams this weekend. Uh, I mean, who knows? Maybe that defense will surprise us, as we mentioned. But uh, currently looking at the New Orleans Saints at home, three point favorites at Bovada. And uh, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and the ageless Tom Brady, who has shown a bit of his age actually this season, uh, currently getting the vast majority of the betting handle, the most of any game this weekend. Uh, you know, uh, some like to say, can't count out touchdown Tom. Uh, I don't really know against that New Orleans Saints defense, which has really helped uh, them stay in a lot of games this year, while Drew Brees has very much showed his age as well. Having said all of that, uh, these two QBs are surrounded with a lot of weapons. You have Kamara, you have Michael Thomas in New Orleans. Uh, an embarrassment of riches, riches at wide receiver for the Tampa Bay Bucks. Can't even go through all the names there. So you still have an over-under 52 where you have guys like Breeze and Brady, and maybe they're not as good as they once were. There's talk that this is going to be Breeze's last season. Uh, perhaps a career in broadcasting was alluded to several times over the weekend. But uh, the guys around them can really extend plays and make things happen. So we currently have that over-under of 52 at Bovada, and we're seeing most of the money on the over so far. Uh, given the games that we have, uh, I, I think this is going to be really impactful. I think 
one of those two teams are the only ones that really stand a chance against the Green Bay Packers. And again, they've got to be hoping for good weather in Green Bay in that uh, NFC Championship game, if we can be so bold as to look that far ahead. You know, the the interesting part about it is you're talking about two iconic legacies, and you know Brady with the Bucks is different than Brady with the Patriots. So I, you know, there's probably a lot of people that are going to take the Bucks just because Brady's there. And I think that's, you know, short-sighted. And again, New Orleans doesn't have fans, so it's not it's not the Superdome like it used to be. But it's such an intriguing matchup. Bucks saints the NFL couldn't have begged for this one better. Like, this is exactly what they want. Just like I think they want, well, they want the Chiefs in the, in the championship game. The NFL wants Kansas City against you know, either Buffalo or or the Ravens. If it's Ravens Chiefs, I think it's you know it's a rematch because remember Ravens were the favorite last year. And if it's the Bills, you have this upstart, and you know that's what the Browns are. There's some really really intriguing games, and the NFL is capitalizing because come hell or high water, they're they're here and they they've gotten it this far. They have, and uh, knock on wood, as of this recording, I don't think we have any uh, COVID announcements coming out. Although we've noted in the past, Seth, that uh, we've often gotten in a bit of trouble. Uh, and we, yeah, immediately as we're recording, there's that uh, impactful COVID test. But as of this recording, I think we're in the clear, which is what we want to see at this time of year. We want to see the cream rise to the top. We don't want to see teams squeaking by on technicalities. Uh, it was great to see Cleveland uh, you know, get past the Steelers, given uh, you know how it impacted their coaching. Uh, against the Steelers. Fortunately, no uh, impactful players out in that scenario. But uh, yeah, th- this is really where we want to be. Bucks, Saints, Breeze, Brady, that is awesome for the NFL. Great for fans as well. I mean, and a- again, that is why we see that kind of blind Tom Brady betting, who, you know, taking a quick look, uh, was only third in passing yards this season behind Patrick Mahomes and Deshaun Watson. So again, I think that uh, does say a little bit more about the talent surrounding him, something that he complained uh, about his last couple of years in New England. But, you know, that, that Bucks team does have a lot of depth to it. They can make a run. And again, I'd say the Packers are the best team there and they will have some version of home field advantage because of the weather, because of the elements that both Tampa Bay and New Orleans and those quarterbacks that are closer to getting an AARP card than perhaps another Super Bowl. But, you know, I I wouldn't be surprised if, uh, you know, one of those three teams feel bad for the Rams. Great that they got as far as they did, but uh, we've got some real talent coming out of the NFC. And I think looking at the AFC, Bills are a great story, but they're more than just a great story now. They're a favorite against the Ravens. I do think the Chiefs uh, are probably, again, with rest, again, with all the, you know, Cleveland has had to do a lot to get this far. The analytics doesn't like the Cleveland Browns. And I think you look at what happened against the Steelers. Yeah, you know, they took care of business, but they also got a lot of help from Ben Roethlisberger and Morky's Pouncey on that first game. Uh, first play of the game, pardon me. If they play 120 minutes, which is a bizarre thing to say, uh, you know, I don't think the Browns survived that one. All right, so we have four games this weekend, and obviously we'll be back with another episode next week as we go down to the conference round and then the, obviously the Super Bowl and you know, just just all systems go. I hope the drama is uh, great. That's, uh, that's all we, that we're hoping for. The head odds maker at Bavada is Patrick Morrow. And now here on Sports with Friends, more of our tribute to the late, great Tommy Lasorda. We continue to look at the life and legacy of the great Tommy Lasorda. And yeah, I get to tell stories and we all get to tell stories because it seems everybody has a Tommy Lasorda story. 
Uh, our next guest here on the show has been a friend for a number of years. Um, and I knew him back from his days with the Dodgers. But now we work together on another podcast I do called the Hall of Justice. He is from Warner Brothers Communications. But he was the VP of Communications from the Dodgers in the 2000s. He was what Frank McCourt's what second hire? That's second hire awesome. and second fire. And only by 15 minutes was I the second fire. <laughs> Gary Mariano's with us here. And Gary, uh, you were one of the first people I thought of when uh, I heard the news about Tommy Lasorda. This was a guy who was a great ambassador, but never had just a, a vanilla conversation with anybody. He got into it with literally everybody. Well, Tommy, Tommy never lacked for words or stories. That was the great part. He, he is the single greatest storyteller I've ever known. And you know me, I like telling stories. So, <laughs> and being around people that tell stories. But Tommy, um, yeah, he never lacked for words. He commanded a room wherever he was. He uh, uh, just was, just was a, a, a force of nature, a personality on top of a personality. And, and there really were more than one Tommy's there. There was the, the public persona and the, um, and the behind the scenes persona that, you know, that you, you and everyone who ever knew him experienced. So uh, the public persona obviously being a shiny, bright ambassador for everyone, baseball, um, whatever charitable cause slim fast you name it he he put a wonderful shine on everything and he was he was a sweetheart in that way the ultimate rah-rah guy and and then behind the scenes yeah you got chewed out i know you did and i i had my my couple of times but uh i i i got to know him first as a reporter starting in 1983 and um when you're a puppy reporter coming up you 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 definitely get your head handed to you any any uh any time uh you you uh step over the line and tommy did that to me a couple of times when i mean i was 22 and and i didn't have a clue and he um uh definitely called me into his office and had a chat with me a couple of times to let me know i was uh stepping into places that the unwritten rules weren't allowing so well, um, look, you, if, if your first year covering the Dodgers was 83, that's about six years after. What did you think of Dave Kingman's performance? Oh, yeah. And that's, you know, we played that at the beginning of the podcast. And, you know, there's that there's but there's this this pitch man mentality that he has where if he has something you mentioned slim fast, he was the baseball wizard as the baseball, you know, from the baseball bunch. Sure. He you know, he did all these things and he had this public persona from your time with him did he understand his role as an ambassador because it oh, seemed what he was i think he always did in fact I, he was the master of i mean T tommy cussed better than anybody i know and you never heard that in public and he he could be doing it right up to the point the camera turned on and then he was bright and shiny he he knew doggone well what he meant to the public he knew what he meant to parents he knew what he meant to kids and and he played that and I, I don't I don't think it was not genuine I mean he loved being at the uh spearheading an effort and 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 you know running point on things and and being out there as a spokesperson so he was he was good at it you know that we 
I, I can I can tell a thousand stories and and go there, but he was he was gold that way. You 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 bring up the the Kingman tape. Um, That's Paul. Joe, Oden. I, I, I think it was one of my dearest friends, Paul Oden, who's now the public address announcer of Yankee Stadium, and he's on my 2021 must get list for uh, Sports with Friends. I think it was Joe McDonald out here. I don't know if you knew Joe or not. Um, uh-huh. Joe was a, a staple of, of uh, sports media in LA for yep. decades um, and a dear friend. And I think Joe was the one who put together what we called the Lasorda tapes and they were legendary. I, I, I know I got my cassette tape from Joe and it included the, what do you think of Kingman's performance? Uh, the nose, the old uh, New York uh, columnist. Um, the Kurt Bavakwa rant, which I had the blessing of being there to watch, which was unbelievable in Tommy's slow build as he was eating a plate of pasta. And and my absolute favorite, uh, game one of a World Series with the Yankees where they mic'd Tommy and Billy Martin because oh. they wanted to do it the next night. You know this tape? That's 81. Yeah. That's, it's, it's, it's just, just I, I have friends who still quote that on a daily basis. <laughs> you say, how are you feeling? They will come right back with, I feel good, Tommy. When <laughs> when I met Chris Shambliss, because there's a line in that where, where Doug, he keeps saying, give me the ball, Dougie. And and Rao keeps saying, I, I can get this next guy. He's a lefty. And, and Tommy shouts back at him. So were the last three guys, Revels, Rivers, Nettles, and that other bleeping guy. And, and the other bleeping guy being Chris Shambliss. And when, when Manny Modi introduced me to Chris Shambliss, I, I started laughing. I couldn't help myself. It's just <laughs> perfect. But yeah, Tommy, Tommy just had a, a, a slyness about him. He planned things ahead. He, he uh, yeah, the, it, he was smart that way. I mean, I, I, go ahead. I never imagined, I never imagined that he'd just get passionate about something. And I, you know, I still think, you know, in the argument that I had with him, which was twice, you know, it was in 2006 and then again in 2008. In the 2006 one, you know, we had him on and he had heard us the inning prior talking about how if you're in the World Baseball Classic, you do not. uh, If I was a general manager, there's no way I'd let my pitchers pitch in an international tournament two weeks before opening day. It's, it's just one of the stupidest things I ever conceived. If you were going to have it and make it about competition, play it in late October and in November, and then let all your players play and, 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 and leave it all out there. But during spring training, that's stupid. And I had said that not to him and he came down and we introduced him and we couldn't have been nicer we said, you know, pleased to welcome Tommy Lasorda, this icon. And he says, thank you for having me on. And then he flipped and he was just like, why wouldn't you let your pitchers pitch? And he called, he didn't curse. He called me a communist and un-American. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. And he, he was, he was, he was wild. And then Daryl Hamilton, the late great Daryl Hamilton and I had a joke from that segment because we used to go, uh, Tommy was sort of, like, we couldn't believe Tommy was sort of went off like that. And we had said, baseball wizard? Eh, I don't know about that. And he, he never lacked for passion, that's for sure. But two years later, I'm in Orlando at the winter meetings. 
and I'm doing a stage show for MLB.com. I don't, I don't know what it was. We were doing this stage show. There was about 300 people in this little theater area in this hotel in Orlando. And some Ken Griffey Jr. is on the dais with me. And, you know, I go way back from when I worked with the Mariners. And we, somehow a question from the crowd comes up about the World Baseball Classic. And I made that comment again. And I, I stand by that comment. It's, it, it's not outlandish. And all of a sudden, this voice, this phantom voice from behind where the lights were, we couldn't see where it was coming from. You're crazy. You don't know what you're talking about. How did they let you on that stage? And I'm like, who is this? Who's yelling? And it's Tommy Lasorda again. And I couldn't. I couldn't believe two years later, he brought it up again. And literally, I hate this, that this has happened. Those are my only two interactions with him. Oh, They're both no. on the air and they were both vicious. Well, I'll, I'll give you, I'll give you the, uh, we went to children's hospitals or children's hospital and hospitals. He uh, like, like uh, I hadn't seen it since something when I was traveling around with the Raiders and I watched Lyle Alzado do the same thing. Tommy wouldn't leave until he saw every kid there. I, uh -huh. I once had a, a a dad friend of mine and his two kids out at the ballpark. Tommy saw me entertaining him during pregame and came out of his way to come over, say some nice things, and he brought balls that he signed right there for them. Uh -huh. I mean, he was great that way. On the flip side, there were those moments when, well, uh, we were <laughs> we were in Cincinnati. And uh, me and Tommy and a couple no others. No stories decided, start well that way. Oh yeah, no, no. This is actually pretty cool. We, One you know, since Cincinnati, Cincinnati, and we're going. He wanted to go over to Jeff Ruby's Steakhouse, so we went on over. And you walk in, and they've got a little, little combo playing there, and and a woman singing, and everybody's sitting down. And I swear to you, it was like a, like a, a, a what was the old uh, American Express commercial, whatever, where you. You walked in and everybody went quiet. EF Hutton. Remember those EF Hutton commercials? We walked in and I swear to you, the whole bar stopped. The restaurant, the, the band stopped, the singer stopped. Everybody in the restaurant turned and looked and you thought they were going to come at us with pitchforks. And instead they seated us and treated us. So it was, it was great. Uh, it just, I'll, I'll give you, I'll give you one of my favorite Tommy's just to give you a, a doozy to go out on. Here we go. Yeah. He, he, uh, um, he, before I worked full-time for the Diders, I worked on the transition team with the McCourts and, and everyone else involved, the public affairs team and everything to get the McCourts settled um, before they even owned the team leading up to the, to the vote and then for a couple of days after. And quite literally, I had slept three hours in three days. And it was about 4.30 on Friday, and we were going over to the Laker game to do more media and the pregame show and the halftime show and all that, yeah, and yeah. dinner with Jerry Buss and the works. And um, I, I was, I was, I had 15 minutes to rest, and I stopped, and my body started giving out. And at that exact moment, Tommy walked down the hall, and he said, Gary, my young friend, how, how are you feeling? And I said, well, Tommy, I'm, I'm a little tired. And he went into one of his patented rants. He, tired? Tired? Do you ever get tired of eating the good steak? And I was like, no, 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 Tommy. Do you get tired of kissing the pretty girl? No, Tommy. He said, how can you possibly ever get tired in Dodger Stadium doing a job you love? 
I was like, uh, I don't know, Tommy, I'll get it together. Come into my office, my young friend, let's talk. And he brought me into his office. He sat me down. Now know that this is Frank McCourt's second day owning the team. He is interviewing or about to interview candidates for the general manager. And Tommy regales me with some tales of Frank Sinatra and Sandy Koufax. And then suddenly he starts trying to convince me to put Pat Gillick's phone number in Frank Frank McCourt's hand <laughs> so that he can he can uh, uh, call, him. call him and make him the next general manager of the yeah, Dodgers. Yeah. And, yeah. and what's most amazing about this whole tale is Tommy was not in his office when he saw me, brought me in, never wrote anything down, but reached down and pulled off a piece of uh, yellow sticky paper that he had written Pat Gillick's phone number on already before he was in that office. He planned this whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> and handed it to me to make sure I got it into Frank's hand. It was such a such an amazing strategic so, pull. I couldn't believe it. He's such a unique person. There's so much. Oh yeah. There's so many layers to him, and it was it's, it, to hear Fred Claire talk about him. And uh, we're gonna have Ben Platt in just a couple of seconds. Oh, and ben Benny. worked with the Dodgers uh, for for a long time. And Gary, it's it, it's great. And Gary, first of all, how can people find you online? Uh, I am easily found at on Twitter at at super PR guy. Great. And, that, great and that's a reference program. to my fanboy uh, side. Not that I'm a super publicist. No, but, but, uh, but that's yeah. your job. You, you promote yeah. that stuff. Gary, thanks so much for doing this. Uh, next time we talk, it'll be about the hall of justice. Okie dokie. <laughs> thanks. Seth. We'll get back to sports with friends in just a moment. But first, did you know that I have another podcast that I do? It's like Sports with Friends, but it's a little different. It's about the superhero sci-fi universe. I have been a fan of comic books, animation, movies. And when I started the Hall of Justice podcast, we wanted to do it for adults. Why did I name it the Hall of Justice? Because if you're old enough to know what the Hall of Justice is, you're our demographic. The idea of the show is to take the same passion that fans have for sports but to bring it to the superhero genre. We have movie reviews where we spoil the movie. No worry, we warn you so that you can see it first. We also have celebrity guests where we interview actors, voice actors. The Hall of Justice podcast comes out every Thursday, wherever you get your podcasts. All right, it seems like there is a tradition. Every time we honor somebody's legacy or life, we bring in someone from Major League Baseball Advanced Media. My man, Ben Platt. Not that Ben Platt. Now I'm going to put him in the show notes and people are going to Google him like crazy. Wow. But my man, Ben Platt, uh, worked with the Dodgers for how long, Ben? Tell, tell everybody, how long did you work for the Dodgers? Uh, Before you started, came over to work for BAM, what, what was your Dodgers? I, I was the webmaster from 90, 1996 until 2000 to the beginning of 2001 when we joined bam right and then how long were you at bam uh 17 years so you're talking about pretty close to 25 years with the dodgers yeah because you've always been based in la and and at dodger stadium yeah and, and at dodger stadium and that's pretty much most of tommy lasorda's run as manager to start and then he leaves in 96. So right when you start there, 
he leaves, but he's the ambassador. He's the guy that's always there. And you got to know him in a different way. You never had to ask him about his performance. You, you know, Gary was before you. So Gary saw most of his managing. Tell me what it was like. And was he larger than life? Because he always seemed like he commanded the room. Yeah. Well, let me go clarify something. I started as a writer for a, a paper called the Big Blue Review in 1993. So I did oh, wow. three and a half seasons with Tommy as manager, except for the shortened year with the strike. Watch this. Um, watch this. Watch this. Coming down three, two, one. Ben Platt has been with the Dodgers for over a quarter century. Continue. Amazing. <laughs> so I got to see him a lot as a manager, too. So he was just he was larger than life. He was just, he was fun. He was, he was a rolling party. Let's put it that way. <laughs> there was always something going on with some, when, when Tommy was there, there was, you know, he, he'd stir it up no matter what, because he was Tommy. And, he, and it was, he was just fun. He had a lot of good times. I had some really great moments with him over the years, uh, especially because the best time is for me was like during the off season, Tommy would still come to the stadium every day no matter what a lot of times we would like uh we'd be doing something i'll tell you one story you'll love this one um it was the off season and i had read in the paper during the early in the morning the la times that um don rickles was going to get his star on the walk of fame and don rickles and tommy were like brothers okay very very tight so great comedian don rickles great great comedian and so generation of people that don't know who he is at about 11 o'clock in the morning, I'm walking into the executive offices and I walk by Tommy's office and Tommy's sitting there just doing work. I go, Tommy, he says, what? He says, why aren't you on Hollywood Boulevard? What's going on Hollywood Boulevard? I said, Rickles is getting his star on the Walk of Fame. Holy cow, man, let's go. <laughs> he just grabs me. He gets in his car's right in the top of the parking lot. He gets right in his car and we just zoom down <laughs> there. Awesome. And then as we're getting there, there's all these police cars because it's a big event. It's all the media and everything like that. And this this motorcycle cop drives up to us, goes, You guys, it's got I don't think we can get you kids. Wait, you're Tommy Lasorda. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm supposed to be there. I'm late. I'm sorry. I got stuck in the stadium. He said, No problem. The guy gets on his thing, he goes, and Three seconds, there's four motorcycle cops, and they open the gate. They just drive us in. Said, "Hey, park in the red. Don't worry about it. <laughs> but you're right awesome. there." Yeah. So, so we go there, and Rickles is is just getting his honorary stuff, and then he's like, "Hey," and Tommy just showed up. Great. So, I've known Don for a long time through through my childhood, through mutual friends and stuff. And he's been in the stadium a lot, so it was fine. And so we're there, and then Don's like, Tommy, we're going to the Hollywood Rovers Hotel. We're going to have lunch in a little bit. And Tommy says, okay, I'll have lunch with you only if I get to sit on the dais, the big where the, the, the VIP section. And Rickles <laughs> is like, uh, Tommy, that's – no, we can't do that. It's, I've got people there. We've got all these – celebrities i didn't know you were coming i didn't i can't you and ben i could get you a nice pillow tape. no i want to sit on the dais with you don you you made the best the best of me you've come to the dodgers today i want to sit on the dais with you i said don no tommy 
You cannot sit on the dais. Well, if I can't sit on the dais, I'm not going to have lunch with you. So goodbye. Oh, Ed, we're out of here. <laughs> <laughs> and Don looks at him and goes, Ben, talk some sense into him. I said, Tommy, just don't, no, if I can't sit on the dais, I'm not doing this. <laughs> we got back in the car and drove back to the stadium and had lunch there. <laughs> Oh my God, that's so funny! So he never stayed. That's all. Awesome. He never stayed. And then when um, he had it, yeah, real quick, when he had his 80th birthday, uh, they when who had his they, 80th birthday? Tommy or well, Tommy? Okay. No, Tommy had his 80th birthday 13 years ago. Um, they want the Dodgers wanted to do a, a video tribute to him, uh-huh. and so uh, I get a phone call, and it's Don Rickles. He goes, Ben, they asked me to do this video. You come and film it because I don't want to be around the son of a bitch. Okay, <laughs> so, so you gotta you gotta come to you know where Roxbury Park is? Yeah, Don. I grew up in Beverly Hills. Yes, I know Don Roxbury. Yeah, yeah, Meet yeah. me there with a camera, and I'll shoot my <laughs> my thing with you there. <laughs> okay, so Don. That's the way. It, that's the way it was. That's so funny, and you know. The, the, so so let's clarify. I told earlier in the in the show the story about me getting lambasted by Tommy Lasorda twice. And those yes. are my only two interactions with him. So I, I don't have the affection that everybody else seems to have. However, uh, you are a witness to the first one. Yes. And that was really random. So in 2006, you were in Japan for the World Baseball Classic. Yep. And first one, the late great Daryl Hamilton and I are doing the game. Were you the guy who got Tommy in the booth or was that yeah. baseball? No, uh, baseball had asked him. And he wasn't sure what he wanted to do. He was, he was being Tommy. He's very big in Japan. Dodgers toured Japan a lot you know, over the years. And then I came up to him afterwards and said, Tommy, can you really do me a favor? Can you talk with my radio guys, please? And just come in there. And so I took him over to the booth. So you told us, and, and this is 2006. Yeah. So like we had cell phones, but they didn't work in Japan. Yeah, and right. so we didn't have any, there was no warning. And you have, you, you know, you're telling us Tommy Lasorda is coming in the booth and we were thrilled. Like the only knowledge that I had had of him is the baseball wizard from the baseball bunch. Like that's, <laughs> that's who, that's who he was. And he managed an 88 and I, and I get it. He comes into the booth and did you know that he knew anything? See the way I remember it, is he didn't know that we were against pitchers pitching in the World Baseball Classic. Um, he didn't know any of that, but he heard us talking about it before he sits down. Right. And when he sits down, he we have no idea that he's hot, that, that he's mad. And what I recall, and that's when you took the photo, is we did a proper introduction. Right. And then he brings up, my comments about how if I, if look, I'm I, I defend this till uh, forever. If the World Baseball Classic is important, play it in goddamn October and November, yeah. and I'll have everybody playing it, but not two weeks before the regular season starts when you have guys pitching 200 innings. It, it's the stupidest argument in the world. And what I remember are the two words: un-American and communist. <laughs> I think that's Tommy hyperbole. <laughs> no, no memory of it. But explain, he, because I saw other people say they would have shouting. Matt Gary was just on. He he said, 
I would have a shouting match, and then the next thing you know, we're eating a bowl of pasta in the that's in the, the way. That's Tommy. That's so Tommy. Explain because that I was never exposed to. Explain that part. No, Tommy. That's the way he is. It, uh, it, I, I wrote a story uh, when he died uh, that put it on Facebook. You can see it on there under you know under my name. Um, Tommy, you search your name. You'll get this actor. You'll get this actor and singer who's. Uh, and I do sort have to ask you about that. You must hate that. No, no, I, 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 I know Ben. He's actually you know family. That ben? I know that Ben. And it, the funny thing is, I'm, my name is Ben Platt. My brother's name is Mark Platt. And Ben's dad's name is Mark Platt. And they spell it the same way. So oh, we've been cool. dealing with this stuff for a, I'm a cousin of him um, through Len Jacoby is my uncle by marriage. Of Jacoby and Myers, the law firm. I think you see the commercials, so that's how I'm related to. So Ben's a very talented young man. Okay, we'll get back to him later. My twelve-year-old, when she found out I was having Ben Platt on the show, she's like, "Why would he talk about a baseball guy?" No, better, better story. I I went to Dave Roberts' house one day. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had to go do some stuff with Dave, and Dave was looking at. He goes. And he, when Dave picks up the phone, usually if he knows who it is, he'll go, Ben Platt, how are you? His 11-year-old daughter was standing next to him, and she freaked. because She was like a Broadway girl, and she's like, oh, my God, Ben, ben Platt's coming to our house, Dad. I can't believe Ben's coming. They had to get her off the wall. <laughs> He did. Uh, they did a, a charity Zoom thing for uh, Father of the Bride, and he right. plays. He played a character, not from the movie, but Steve Martin is there, and uh, Diane Keaton is there, and and he was on it. And all I kept telling my kids when we were watching it was, I know a guy named Ben Platt. <laughs> That's all I kept saying is, I know a guy, and they're like, No, you don't. You don't know Ben Platt. I'm like, I know my Ben Platt. Uh, <laughs> so so uh he's a larger than life character yes um tell me something about his principles just tell me about because there are players that played for him that swear by him they love him and that he inspired them yes that's the word that's the that's the that's the thing that i think that people know him as a cartoon character not Tommy. this guy yeah tommy lasorda was the most motivational person in the world. He would come to any player and he would do everything in his power to motivate that person and find out what that person was about. I mean, uh, I read an article when he died by Reggie Smith. Mm-hmm. Reggie well, came over to the Dodgers. Yeah, he came over to the Dodgers in 1976 from the St. Louis Cardinals. Uh, before that, I was in Boston, but you know he'd been running into a lot of racism and stuff like that. And Reggie's from the uh, Southern California, but Reggie had a really bad attitude. Just he was just he was just angry, okay. Mm-hmm. And Tommy got into that and said, "Reggie, I need you. I cannot win the pennant without you. Okay, mm-hmm. you have to bet. You are the man." I got Garvey. I got Say. I don't know what's going to happen with Dusty, but I got it. I need you. You are the key. And Reggie said in this article, that is the first time anyone in baseball had ever been 
honest and saying, you need me. Mm. And, and, and Richie had an amazing year that year. I think he had 33 home runs, part of the quartet at all. He got 30 home runs, played his best baseball. I mean, and that's, and he'd been around since 1966. So after 10 years, he finally got, got to be the Reggie he wanted to be. And it, that's kind of the thing Tommy did. And we played uh, at the beginning of the show, the, uh, the Paul Olden uh, interview that turned into the great clip of what did I think of his performance? That's Kingman. <laughs> Kingman. Let's wrap it up with you always have outlandish stories. Uh, I remember there's a video of you circulating somewhere where you went bananas. You were on the field. I think it was after Luis Gonzalez's home. No, it wasn't Luis Gonzalez. Maybe it was the angels beating the giants. There was one game where you were doing a video thing and you lost your mind and we loved it. I would, the enthusiasm was. The oh, best. I know what it was. Daryl Hamilton and I used to talk about it all the time. Uh, it was when uh, the Dodgers won the division in 2004. Okay. Yeah. And it, it, yeah, it was, and it was, uh, uh, it was Gonzo hit the home run uh, against the Giants. And I was on the field interviewing the players. Holy, that was the greatest thing in the world. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, my favorite interview that day was I had to interview Milton Bradley. Uh-huh. Okay. And in the, in the middle of the game, I mean, in the middle of the interview, Frank and Jamie McCork come in and Frank, you know, have the microphone right in there. And Frank's like, Milton, are you with us now? We're with you. I want you in my family. I need you there. Uh-huh. Yeah, that was crazy. Yeah, that that was a that was a crazy day because the Dodgers hadn't won a division title since since nineteen ninety five, so it had been nine year drought. So I was very happy for him. Do you want to want me to tell you the robot story or one of the other stuff? Give me one more good one. Let's talk about yeah. Let's talk about the robot. Uh, Before I got into baseball, I. I had a lot of jobs and one of them was I worked for a company called Robotics 21. And I used to do trade shows with these robots where you talk to them through a harmonizer and stuff like that. It was a great job, great pay. Every time you did it, it was like $900 a day you know, to do these things with these corporations, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. When the Dodgers won the world series in 1988, I called them up and I said, you have your Christmas party coming up. I would like to do bring the robot to their for just for the hell of it, for the kids, uh, for the for the just children's Christmas party, and I'm not going to charge it. And so I did it. That's how I was. That's my my first foray informally to the daughters. Anyways, zoom in a few years later, I joined the team as the webmaster and create their website for the for, in 1996. Barry Stockhammer was the guy I talked to. He was the uh, vice president of marketing uh, when we when we were there for the party. And he became my boss. And like a year in, when the web, after the website was successful, he asked if the Dodgers could buy a robot and have me operate it for the kids before the games and stuff. So I said, sure. And we did it. Got my old company. We bought the robot. And everybody loved this robot. His name was 643DP. And we rolled him around and used they had commercials with him and all this fun stuff. The one person who hated the robot was Tommy because because his granddaughter, Emily, was scared to death of it. And this is 1998. OK, 
Tommy, by then, is the interim general manager of the team after the firing and Fred Claire and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And my office was, you remember where my original office was, was in the press box, okay? Uh-huh. And we used to keep the robot in there. One night during a game, I'm rolling the robot out. And all of a sudden I hear this, what the F are you doing, Ben? I go, Tommy, I got kids on the reserve level. This, they need to see the real. No, Emily's here. No, Emily's asleep in your suite, Tommy. I just talked to Joe and Laura, okay? No, you're not, you're not taking the robot out. Tommy, I have to take the robot out. There's over 200 Cub Scouts in the reserve level waiting for the robot. Okay. No, I'm the general manager of this effing team, and I'm going to say no. So, so what are you telling me? I'm benching the robot. He's benched. He can't come out. He's done. Okay. Do you understand me? <laughs> Mark Langell, the team historian, is my best friend. He, he's in my office out of sight. And I turn over, and he's on the floor laughing about the pee in his pants. <laughs> so, so, so you're benching the robot. He's benched, Ben. And if you take him out, I'm going to throw you out of the stadium. <laughs> Tommy. That's Tommy, man. <laughs> God bless him. Ben, uh, you did a wonderful thing paying tribute. I thought of you as soon as uh, we heard the news. And, uh, you know, it was great to have Fred and it was great to have Gary, but I had to put you on the show. And uh, trust me, uh, we'll do this again. You know, anytime there's something Dodgers, the Dodgers don't do anything. And I don't think of Ben Platt. Okay. Anytime, my friend, it's been great. I'm glad the podcast is doing well. And just enjoy yourself. Great stuff. Ben Platt, Gary Mirianu, uh, the great Fred Claire, Paul Olden, sort of, with an archive tape. Uh, MLB radio remembered as well. Uh, Daryl Hamilton's name mentioned Tommy Lasorda was a lot of things and he will not be remembered for his, uh, run-ins with me. Uh, this guy was a great, great piece of baseball history. And I'm glad we paid tribute to him on sports. Stay safe out there, please. It's a crazy time in our history. 2021 is off to a weird start. We'll see you next week. If you want me to stay, I'll be around today To be available for you to see I'm about to go, and then you'll know For me to stay, I got to be me You'll never be in doubt, that's what it's all about You can't take me for granted and smile Come on, Taking up my time